Across the distant reaches of the Milky Way, past the Helux Nebula, circling the edge of a protostar, a red-hot bar sits in the shadow of a cold asteroid. This is Sci-Fi and Tonic. Pull up a seat and order a drink with your hosts, Tan Tuncha and Don Dimish. Everybody, this is Sci-Fi and Tonic. Uh, I hope you poured yourself a drink. We're here today with uh, the Warp, the team from Warp, with Call Me Jace, Sam, and uh, the Warp team is uh, launching on Phantom soon. Void Armada is another project also launching on Phantom. Uh, today we're talking starship design, space travel, and whatever beverage that you are currently drinking, whether it be energy drink or beer. Or something stronger. Sometimes you need something stronger in the morning. Um, so welcome everybody. Uh, Ton is going to walk us through the show. And thanks for joining us. So normally I start off every show with like a historical anecdote or like a scientific quote or something. But this week I'm going to, I, I want to do something different because um, I just figured out something. I think that's hilarious. And awesome at the same time. Last week, uh, our show was about time travel and sci-fi. So, and we were talking about like obviously Back to the Future, and like we somehow started talking about DeLorean. Okay, and then we literally <laughs> said that you know wouldn't it be awesome to buy a DeLorean? You know, and then like just drive it on you know in the streets, whatever. And then we just figured out that. Joel actually owns a DeLorean. So can you, t- can you please talk one. about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I know I'm in good company with our uh, sci-fi nerddom here. Um, but I, you know, I, it, it was even before I, I saw Back to the Future. You know, I was born in, in, uh, in 1990. So it's not like I'm, you know, was alive in the 80s to see Back to the Future in theaters. But I mean, when I was pretty young, I saw the movie and was like, oh, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But I also really liked the car itself. Um, and so as the years went on, I always was like, listen, someday I'm going to own a DeLorean. Like, it doesn't matter what it takes to get it. I'm going to someday, like, own one, and it's going to be awesome. And I worked in L.A. in the film industry for 10 years, and so I'd see a couple of them driving around. I'd just be like, oh, God, there's another DeLorean. It's so awesome. And then... uh like actually it's so funny on my first date with my with my girlfriend who's now my wife uh we've been married for 10 years now and it's like on the first date i told her like hey here's some stuff about me i worked in the film industry all that sort of stuff and like someday i'm gonna own a delorean and if that's a problem like let me know because you know that'll be basically like a deal breaker if you hate deloreans for whatever reason and she's like oh that's the back to the future car right and i was like yeah she's like oh that's cool that's fine and i'm like awesome all right sweet you passed the test 10 years later and and it's i own one it's and it's uh technically it's sitting in a warehouse we're moving so it's sitting with some of the rest of my stuff but um i daily drive it um it's i can't go anywhere without getting like attention um i have uh, uh i remember the first time i got a sit in one and how much of a magical experience it was so no matter where i go whether it's like out to a restaurant or to like get gas or just driving down the freeway uh i always have people who are like waving so if anybody asks me to sit in it i'm like come on in like hop in take a picture and uh, and people do um they they really love it you know i figure when else 
else are you going to have a chance to like sit in a DeLorean? They're so rare these days. So yeah, mine runs, it drives. Uh, I've been slowly restoring it. I've been doing like a bunch of cool LED lighting stuff with it. Uh, my goal is to uh, keep it stock. So there are people who like to convert them into time machines. You know, there's there's so few left that to, to turn one into a time machine, I think is kind of a waste of a good DeLorean. If people want time machines, they can go buy them. They're on eBay and stuff. But for me, I just, I love the the classic car, the iconic car. So yeah, and I have a, my, my Instagram, if anybody wants to see it, is is at DeLorean because I live in Oregon and it's a DeLorean. So it's DeLorean. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, so a question though, is it easy to drive? These cars look cool and that's it. That's literally it. They're slow as fuck. They have no power steering. Like it's, uh, it is, uh, I mean, you're, you're low to the ground. So it takes corners really, really well, but like the PRV engine in it is a six cylinder, but it only has 124 horsepower. So like when I'm driving, I mean, the car is really lightweight, so it, it, it does have like some get up and go, but like, you know, I'll pull up next to like a Mitsubishi Evo or like somebody's Subaru WRX or whatever. And, you know, they'll rev their engine. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to race you in this car. You're going to like a, a soccer mom van is going to beat the shit out of my DeLorean. But like, that's not the point when you're the coolest car on the road, it doesn't matter how fast you go, but yeah, not having power steering is, is kind of a bummer. And also it's like, you don't realize how low to the ground they are until like you get in one and your butt is literally like on the ground. And uh, even like when I'm sitting in it next to like a, a Honda Civic, I'm looking up at the driver in a Honda Civic, like a, just a normal car. I'm looking up at them because it's so low to the ground. So every car and truck out there in the rearview mirror looks like a monster compared to like this. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the chassis was built by Lotus. And so it, it shares all of the, uh, all the Lotus properties, um, of a, you know, low, a very low to the ground sports car. It just is super slow. So there are, there are people who will go in and, and soup them up. They'll, um, <clears throat> they'll, they'll either swap out the engine or like there are enough of like DeLorean enthusiasts out there where I could buy like an EFI conversion kit. So I'll take the whole top of the engine off and replace it with electronic fuel injection. And that bumps it up to about about 250 horsepower and that's you know that's a lot faster it's still not very a lot of horsepower but it, for a car that small and that light it really turns it into a rocket so someday i'll probably do that um, but for now everything is uh, all the all the bones of the car are the are stock original just they've just been updated over the years so but it's wow. fun i mean like every time i like walk to a parking lot and i just see it there i mean like i'll go get groceries in it and people just freak out they're like you're getting groceries in a delorean it's like yeah why not like it's awesome i, I want to drive it i don't want it to sit in my garage i want to drive it <laughs> that's awesome i had no idea by the way that they were like uh, you know <laughs> not easy machines <laughs> i kind of guessed so but Wow, I had no idea. So that's amazing. Um, so before we get into the topic, uh, I just want to give a little bit of insight where this is coming from. So basically, uh, Warp Game and Void Armada are two NFT collections uh, that, that is based on spaceships, you know, and, and it's sort of both are kind of GameFi uh, projects. And uh, although we have some kind of you know differences i think we have more in common than than our differences and the way we met was like these guys like sam and and joel they 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 reached out to us and they say hey we're doing this project and then we met online on on google meet and 
I mean, I just thought you're like really stand up and down to earth guys, and you just explain all your project and and then we talked about like collaborating, and since then we've been thinking about it, how you know how we can do it, and then when we were thinking about thinking about the future of the show, we said, oh, we should do like you know uh, guests, and then oh, why don't we invite these guys and then talk about spaceships? And today's subject was actually actually this week's subject for a while, you know, because we had we had it planned. So, and it was just like perfect. Oh, this is our this is our this subject is perfect for both of us. It's like spaceship design and transportation design and sci-fi. Here is the other thing that we realized that especially in the NFT world, I don't feel like we're just like businesses, you know, just like competing or something like that. No, I think what I felt after that meeting that we're just a bunch of sci-fi nerds who just love doing this thing. And then, you know, and, you know, th- that's what you are too. I mean, just looking at your ship designs and everything and the way you present yourself, you just love what you do. And that's the, that's how we feel about it. So, I think that's one thing that we have in common. So I think uh, the, the subject suits us both. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so getting into the subject, okay, I think when we think about spaceships, the first movie that comes to mind, to my mind at least, is Star Wars, okay? I, I think we want to do a specific Star Wars show and talk about other things like Force and stuff. But when it comes to spaceships, I think Star Wars ships maybe even are the best and actually it's quite varied you know there's so much to talk about there's so many types of ships and uh let's kick off there like what would be your best spaceship design in star wars you know what do you like best Oh, that's a good question. You know, like there are a lot of people who just love the love the Falcon um, and love like the Corellian ships. I think they're ugly AF, um, and I think that's by you know design, and it's supposed to generate a reaction of like you know this this hunk of junk is what you're like you know flying around in. Um, for me, when it comes to like favorite uh, Star Wars ships, um, uh, I really like uh, a lot of the. Uh, like I think a lot of like in the Clone Wars era, like a lot of those ships that were coming out, you know, they all kind of had like the same motif. Um, you know, obviously there's the classics like the X-wing, the A-wing, the Y-wing, all that stuff that came for the Rebel fleet. But like, you know, with the with the Clone Army and all of the starships that they had there, that were all that like that red and white, and they all had those big engine intakes, you know. And then they had like the Jedi Starfighter, all that sort of stuff. I I really loved those era of ships, um, and really liked uh, the the design elements that they. Did there was kind of like it had like nods to what would eventually become x-wings but also they were um they they had like a lot of open space in the wings a lot of long wing designs those really exaggerated intakes the the front cockpits i i really liked that whole um era of ships and what's funny is actually i was just thinking about this this morning ironically um i i always thought the naboo starfighter was like really really ugly i liked the chrome part of it but you know the chrome and, and why and it just it felt like kind of a, a really weird weird shit but then when it made its reappearance in the mandalorian and then they had the or well i should say book of boba fett but you know mandalorian b2 uh they um you know they that that episode where where Jin like repairs the naboo starfighter i like fell in love with that ship 
design again like i reminded how like actually cool it is and as a kid i thought it was okay but now i'm like oh man that actually was really cool design seeing how they they kind of modified it and rebuilt it with like all that chrome finish and stuff like that but um yeah i'd say uh, i'd say those were cool um i never like this is a controversial opinion i never really thought that tie fighters were all that cool or anything in the empire um i mean that they're they're very iconic both for the sound design and the uh the you know the this the whole uh, the straight vertical wing um, and then the wedge shape of the the destroyers and the super destroyers and all this stuff, but um, I never really uh, particularly thought they were um, as as interesting. So that's a long winded answer, but yeah, I'd say kind of the uh, the uh, the Clone Wars Republic attack fleet would probably be my favorite uh, ship designs. Um, although I will say, I don't know if you guys played. Um, oh God, what was that game? Uh, the 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 video game, not Rise of the Resistance. What was it called? It was the one featuring the guy who's the redhead. Why am I blinking on this? You mean the latest one with with the new character? Yeah, with the new character, and he was like the redhead guy. Um, oh, yeah, he, yeah. Um, uh, what's the name of that freaking game? I, I, I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I played the game. Yeah, I played. Uh, um, but that ship, that ship, I thought was really cool. It had the really long, tall stabilizer that went horizontal. Um, I forget even. It's not Razor Crest. That's. Uh, it's the. Uh, it's pretty good game actually. Fallen Order. That's it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fallen Order. There you go. There you go. Yep. You're right. I actually agree with you that um, Clone Wars era ships are the best. Yeah, they're definitely. And I think that there is a point to it because, I mean, if you look at, obviously, the, the original trilogy uh, era, it's much more boxy and, uh, and they're more matte. You know, the, the, the painting, it's more like, it's not shiny at all. And it kind of makes sense because you have the Empire, which is like, brutalistic kind of design okay and you have the rebels who are poor okay so so they don't have the shiny ships you know it's just yeah, you know exactly. it's, yeah they're like scratchy and you know uh so and obviously uh in the clone wars era you have these i totally agree with you about the uh, naboo ship uh it's like it's almost like a mirror it's extremely shiny and it, when I first saw it, it really caught my eye because I was like, you know, we've never seen this kind of finish on the ships before. And I think it kind of represents the better Republican era of the galaxy, you know. And if you also think about, like, when you picture Naboo as well at the time, which is Lake Como in Italy, which was shot there. So it's like very picturesque, you know, very romantic. The ships are shiny there is the there is like uh, senators there is the you know uh, senate and the republic so it kind of all represents that shininess and when it comes to the separatist ships it also makes sense because they're very robotic because they make excellent droids so if they can make these awesome droids they can also make awesome ships and a lot of the ships also have like they're like lots of walkers you know the one with like the uh, like spherical head with like the nose, which is like a tank. Actually, I love those things, and and the designs are great. And obviously, they're they're done much later. But but also, I think it kind of makes sense in the story because those guys are excellent droid builders, and and they can 
totally make great ships too. So, um, well, and it's funny because like I, you know, my, my background, you know, when I worked in the film industry, I was in, uh, I started out as a visual effects. I was a compositor and a 3d artist. Um, and so, uh, I remember, um, watching behind the scenes documentaries of, of episode one. And when, uh, George Lucas and his design team were building, cause you know, they, they, they're coming from miniatures, right? Like everything in, in star Wars, uh, the, you know, four, five, and six were, were all miniatures. Um, and so episode one was all about, uh, using, uh, CGI. And so when, uh, he talked about when, when George Lucas wanted a Chrome ship, um, as in like a polished mirror surface, all of the, uh, like, I remember them talking about this specifically within the boost Starfighter was all of the VFX guys were like, like losing it because in order to have a chrome finish, you have to build in the visual effects pipeline. You have to build um, entire sets or virtual sets around it. And at the time, rendering everything was was very limited when it came to um, how like basically like modern day ray tracing is what we would do, and we can mimic. I mean, all the starships that I designed and built and as a part of our series are using ray tracing, and so a reflective surface reflects the environment around it piece of cake but at the time that was like incredibly difficult to do so when they built them practically you know they had that the uh the uh hangar bay scene you know all of those naboo starfighters were actual practically built set pieces but then when they transitioned into you know fighting and flying around all of those chrome service need services needed to reflect all the environment around them at the time they didn't have ray tracing technology and so for the visual effects artists it was a huge undertaking to get the Naboo Starfighter to be polished because you could fake it like you mentioned the the uh the uh the separatist ships you know they um the the Gungans or not Gungans freaking what are they called yeah the, the bug-eyed guys um but they you know they have their droid ships and with the droids you have a, a variety of of surfaces including like scratched and and slightly diffused and stuff like that but none of them were pure chrome but with the Naboo Star, Starfighter it was and so I remember being amazed at the time looking at these visual effects artists using computers in the late 90s to to build perfectly reflective chrome services that reflected all of the environment around them and it was uh, it was huge it was huge for ILM at the time and then later f- made the uh, made it possible to do all kinds of more stuff that we enjoy in our in our visual effects pipelines today but yeah you know it's it's always kind of funny when you get that uh, especially in filmmaking you know you have concept artists who make these incredible pieces and then when it comes to actually either building them practically or integrating them in terms of a a visual effects pipeline um you have to start to really wonder like okay but does it you know does it have to be chrome can we make it anything else and george lucas at the time was like yeah it's got to be chrome so they figured it out and now we have the naboo starfighter by the way one of my favorite ships in star wars is obi-wan kenobi's ship in in episode two where it has this if you remember like like a separate piece like a modular piece just for uh, light speed just for you know interstellar travel and then when it arrives it uh, the ship leaves that that circular piece behind and then it just goes itself so i really like that actually at the time but if you think about <laughs> if you think about it physically like <laughs> like like realistically if you leave something like that behind and if you touch it like uh in the wrong place even for like just a little bit it will start spinning and you will not be able to get in, get back right. inside yep. it you know, nothing stays like still in space you know so i thought about it wow that that's pretty 
like solid thing, you know, that stays the way it is in, in the vacuum. So anyway, but I love it. You know, it's nice. I think that's one of the things with Star Wars that we talked about this in this show before. Like it's one of the most scientifically ridiculous, you know, I can even use this word, shows ever. You know, nothing makes sense. You know, like they call it light speed, but you cannot go at light speed. And it's, it's not even actual light speed. They're actually using uh, hyperspace lanes, whatever. You know, you cannot have lightsabers, whatever. But still, it's, I think, to me, one of the best and most iconic uh, stories because the story is beautiful. That's the thing. You know, we love the characters. We love, you know, we'll never, unfortunately, because we were really laughing about this a lot, you know. People, I, I was bombing people out that we'll never have lightsabers because light just keeps going on. You cannot stop the light like that. You can maybe have, like, maybe plasma swords, but you need to have that piece as a metal thing, and then it needs to heat up. So you will never have, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing happening. You know, it's not happening ever. But you, do you want a lightsaber? Yes, I do. You know, I just cut myself with it, obviously. But Just killing hopes and dreams out here, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> killing hopes yeah. and dreams. As usual, yeah. I love talking yeah. about that, though. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite ship designs in Star Wars is, uh, I think they're called the B-Wing. They're like the weird bomber guys, where the cockpit oh, yeah. one side. They made that um, perfect intro in, in Rogue One, where you got to like, or no, was it? It wasn't Rogue One. It was... Uh, it was the second of the new ones. Right? Second of the, the new ones, ships. that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that was so uh, cool. Seeing like that. the whole like bomb array going all the way down that tail, jeez, so freaking cool. I I like ships that work like ship designs that work in space but don't work in gravity, and I feel like that's one of them where it's like oddly shaped, oddly designed. They do it like a couple of times. There's a couple ships who have like uh, just or uh, Slave One kind of has that design too where it like alters or it's like a different design when it lands versus like when it's in the air. I think stuff like that's really cool. And also the uh, the ship of uh, what was the name of Boba Fett's son? Jango Fett. Yeah. Remember Jango Fett's ship? It's also like upside down kind of thing, you know, like a like a turtle shell but looking forward like it's like tilted on its axis kind of eventually I think it becomes Boba Fett's ship anyway, but I love that design because that kind of makes sense because in space you don't need aerodynamics so you don't need to make it like a plane I mean if you look at a lot of I mean our designs are like that too because people like seeing that kind of ships and we love those ships but they don't make sense you know um, but in space it doesn't really matter what shape your ship is it can just be a cube which we'll come to that later um, in Star Trek um, so I really like that. So it it was kind of I think different than I really like those upside down designs as well. That that doesn't look like a plane of sorts. I think. Yeah, not to uh, not to get into the to the debate, but like you know, there's the symmetry versus asymmetry, and uh, there are a lot of people who really love asymmetrical ship designs. Um, I'm fine with like asymmetry as long as the design makes sense. I mean, I played a lot of Eve Online when I was you know a teenager and into college, and their ships are like the worst because they would never work in real life. Like if you have a starship with like one medium sized thruster on the left and like seven small thrusters on the right, that thing's only 
only going to go in a circle. Like there's no, physics does not make sense. If you have like giant bulky starships with uneven or uneven um, propulsion methods, but at the same time, you know, when, when you do use it tastefully, I mean like the Falcon would be a great example or like the B wing um, or even like the ship from uh, fallen order. uh, Wait, no, dang it. We already forgot the name of that game. (laughs) No, no, that's fallen order. Fallen order Um, is right. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. That is it. Okay, sweet. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, you know, right. like all of those, you know, all the ships that, that incorporate asymmetry is a form of, of um, like the vast majority of the ship has symmetrical designs, but then you have standout features that are asymmetrical. I, I do really like that. I, I think that's cool and adds a lot of character and uniqueness, you know, like with the Corellian ships having the, the cockpit be off to the corner, even if it's not a very good uh, safety design decision where if, you know, you cripple the ship because you're cockpit's like sticking out way in the open i mean that's you, you kind of mentioned with star wars like it's it's iconic because they kind of don't care about those things you know it, it's they, they they're not going wait hold on a minute we should you know make sure that the the cockpit is is uh, structurally protected inside of the you know the whole of the ship and and you know a lot of people really li- not to keep bringing up other um universes but you know people really did like the expanse because of the the way that the ships were were designed and and how you know all the cockpit and bridges and stuff were internally in there or vertically laid out and stuff and and yeah i i think it's fine i think it's cool if you have something that's really attempting to stick to a rigid law of physics and 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 spaceship design that that is not like beautiful or or inspiring but to me i'll always take something that that has a a uh, form as well as function or if the choice had to be made, I would go with form because you know Star Star Wars does have so many ships in it that that really do follow a a form over function, and I think that that creates iconic ships, you know. Um, and uh, with with modern day ships, everything's bolted onto a rocket, right? You know, with any any ship design that we've built in reality needs to needs to to not have um form because it's it's function first but hopefully someday we'll we'll have stuff like star wars or star trek where we're actually designers can build things that are aesthetically beautiful um or aesthetically pleasing without needing necessarily to to concede to what is the most practical that's a really good point for instance we had a show called uh, outward bound exploration of space in sci-fi and we talked about passengers the movie uh oh yeah that one, that was a crazy ship design. That's awesome, actually. And realistic and kind of scientifically correct. Because you have this beautiful, like, spinning propeller sides. I mean, and it's huge, okay? And it's massive. So it kind of makes sense. So it's spinning, so it creates this artificial gravity. And as you go to the center uh, of the ship from the sides uh, with the elevator... You, you become weightless. And then as you g- keep going to the other side, again, you, uh, you have gravity on the other side of, of your elevator. So you have to buckle up. So I think, you know, it's just like there is only one single ship in the movie, and I think it's a beautiful design. So I think in sci-fi, especially in the last, I want to say maybe 10 years, sci-fi started to going in, into this direction a lot more, like scientifically more accurate. I'm not going to say 100%, but more accurate. And, you know, creating interesting things using those scientific limitations. Again, a good example of a movie would be Interstellar. So 
because space travel is so problematic that you can actually create drama. But obviously, movies like um, Star Wars do not use that. By the way, you mentioned Expense, and I think it's a great example because Expense is one of the most scientifically accurate TV series ever. I love the spaceship designs there, and they're realistic. The way they shoot, you know, because basically... Uh, you don't need to shoot even lasers uh, in space. You know, lasers are fine, you know, but it requires so much power. All you need is just like kinetic energy. You know, you don't need, you don't need ex even explosive in space because people, you know, things will not slow down. So just a small example. Uh, let's say there is a moon base, okay, and you want to destroy it. All you need to do is just send some heavy object really fast. That's all you got to do. You don't need any bombs. You don't need lasers or anything like plasma or whatever. You just need to send something that really, really fast, just accelerated. Just you, all you got to do is that. And it's much easier than just like gathering so much power to shoot lasers. So there's a, an audiobook series on, on Audible. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called We Are Bob. And it's basically the story of a. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Have you, have you listened to it? And we talked about it. It's oh, you did? Oh, I, man, I like you We're guys Legion, even more. We're Bob. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We are Legion. That's right. Um, and yeah, like, I won't spoil it, but, you know, when they, that's a bunch of von Neumann probes that are, you know, powered by a complete sci-fi nerd, um, you know, the intelligence of a, of a man who died and, and he, they downloaded his intelligence into these ships and now he just replicates himself infinitely and becomes more and more nerds flying around in spaceships but that was one of the best part is and you know they they basically fling a moon into a star and it takes them a long time to do it but the, you know they can play it out over the course of you know decades and uh, and it's just like it's just awesome like when you think about it like there is the amount of energy that's required to uh, like you know create a, a beam weapon or even like a shield system to defend against the beams all that sort of stuff is like that's a like we're gonna need significant advances in um, energy you know storage and generation in order to even contemplate doing stuff like that and actually cause damage um, instead of just like a minor inconvenience um, but when you think about just like you know you don't when you when you create a projectile whether it's big or small you don't have to worry about slowing it down all you need to do is speed it up and then just let it hit the target and the the you know you you can't protect against that sort of damage uh if you're especially if you're a stationary object so you know i i, I love that sort of thing i think you're right that the expanse totally nails it um and uh there it, it is a lot of fun to watch um, but yeah, I would pick a, I would pick a ship out of another universe. Uh, you know, somebody like handed me the keys to any starship I wanted. I would not be picking a ship from the expanse. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're only useful things, you know, they're like tools. They're not, they're, they're not there for a show, but, uh, they're just made for its usefulness if, if you know, and it's kind of makes sense because, uh, there are like economical issues there and everything. So it's not like. They don't have like bunch of money to throw at like ship design, whatever, and kind of it also makes sense in, inside the story, so it's great. But I, I agree with you; they're not the best ship designs ever, but they're the most realistic and most functional, definitely. And you actually talked about something really interesting there about about uh, the propellers that, especially visually, uh, sci-fi likes to just put lots of propellers and like things coming out of them. We did that as well, you know. Don and I, we love our propellers. You know, we just, we just made like lots of weird ones and then add lots of glows to them. So they look really cool. But 
Uh, here's the thing about propellers. I, I actually saw, saw this in Passengers too. So when you see the first scene of Passengers, you see the ship, okay? It just comes from the front and it passes by the camera and it just, you know, just you see the back of the ship later. And then what you see at the back is that they're like, I think, I think maybe four huge, massive propellers and they're like running. So here is the thing, okay? This is a scientifically accurate movie, by the way, you know? When you're running your propellers, it means you're accelerating. So if you if you don't want to accelerate, basically you just don't run it. However, then, then your ships look lame in the movie. So when you see a ship that's that's just that's like exactly they're, right. yeah, they're, if their engines are idle, they're just doing nothing. Then you you just suddenly feel that there's something wrong because I was watching that scene and I thought, you know, those things should be turned off. You know, if it's going at the stable speed, you know, unless unless it's accelerating. So, and then I thought, nah, it just wouldn't look nice. You know, it just, something would look off, I think, uh, in that case. What do you think? Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, there's the the idea that you basically just continue to accelerate until you, you know, get as close as possible to the speed of light, which, you know, whether people ascribe to, you know, whether we can break the speed of light or not, I, either way, you can still constantly accelerate. But at some point, eventually, you know, you reach an acceleration level where the tiniest particle, if it's not deflected, will utterly destroy your entire starship. So, you know, there's that problem. Um, but, you know, I, I think there that uh, there you're either, you know, fully accelerating and you continue to accelerate until you reach the midway to your trip and then you you know spin the ship around and then you fire your engines and you're decelerating for the entire rest of the the trip um i think that that's uh an interesting you know basically like what could happen if you wanted to be as, as speedy as possible um you didn't ask me this question but i'll just kind of throw it out there that i think the first uh interstellar starships that that we build aren't going to be beautiful star wars or star trek spaceships they're going to be bolted to asteroids um, i mean because also, like if you look at our current spaceships they're ugly and you look at the spaceships that we have like like uh in movies they're beautiful even our spaceships right now are ugly tesla's spaceships are not attractive <laughs> round white things bolted on the top of a rocket but that's right like i actually think that that our, our our true interstellar ships are not going to be pretty i think they're going to be like basically hollowed out asteroids because you already have all the structure there and what you'll do is you'll mine out the center of it and that's where you'll put all of your living quarters your cockpit you know your your um, bay your storage all of that stuff inside the asteroid and then what you're doing as you fly is you're having robots um, mining robots, tools, etc., that are that are stripping the asteroid from the front, um, and then uh, putting the mass that it generates into the engines in the back, the reactor engines, and then that's what's actually propelling the ship forward. So basically, you use the asteroid both as protection from um, any space debris or stuff that's you know inter interstellar debris, as well as the reaction mass for your your ships. And yeah, we can all hope that maybe at some point faster than light travel becomes a reality but until that point i think that building a generational ship or something like that you know using materials transported from earth or even mined off of asteroids is just going to be hugely impractical but you know going out and, and getting one of the you know giant rocks in the oort cloud and bringing it back into orbit around earth or mars or something like that and then hollowing it out attaching some engines to the back of it and sending it off on its way is is probably going to be i mean it's not going to be pretty but i think that's going to be um the most efficient use of of resources and materials um 
as well as you know providing unique and there's a lot there's actually some really good stories sci-fi stories and stuff that actually use asteroids as their vehicles um one thing actually that kind of terrifies me i read this short story that was that was brilliant i'll summarize it but basically where um you have a a ship that gets sent out from earth to alpha centauri and it's going to take the crew a hundred years to get there and so you know they send the they send the crew off and it's a multi-generational ship and and then you know a hundred years into the journey of that starship they create a new type of engine that allows them to get there half as fast so now it's 50 years until they get there so they send that ship out and that ship will overtake the first ship you know 75 years into its journey uh and then you have another uh ship that gets created that now can do it in only you know 10 years instead of 100 so because of all the advances they send that ship out and then they have another one that can go at the speed of light and it gets there you know in four years or something like that which would be less it'd be more than that because alpha centauri is eight years but basically the the story is told from the perspective of the first ship that goes out and by the time that first ship arrives at its destination it finds what it thinks is alien life but it's not it's the humans who left earth and just kept developing technology that was faster and faster so by the time they got there they were like anciently outdated people in an anciently outdated starship in a you know technology that can now travel back and forth between earth and the matter of a couple years instead of a hundred years and then everybody welcomes their return but they're like their entire lives are forfeit in a sense because they're not pioneers of a new system they're literally just ancient relics that everybody let take their you know slow time to get to the destination and so the moral of that story is if you're going to be on the you know in an interstellar flight uh just make sure you're like the third or fourth ship that goes out and not the first one the end <laughs> that's that's the take from the story that's true actually in, in science there's a name for that you have to make the right calculations so that this doesn't happen you know that you you go there and people already there because technology advanced while you're away there, there is a specific name for this, actually. Yeah, there is. I don't remember what it's called. Like time consideration or something along these lines, by the way. Something like this. So, yeah. yeah so you basically <laughs> just have to like, hey, somebody claims Alpha Centauri. All right, that's theirs. Nobody else go there until they arrive. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to make and them And then you upset. just have to become refugees in, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. in your own expedition. Uh, but you're totally right. I totally agree with you. So moving on to one of the, again, the most um, popular sci-fi shows ever, you know, Star Trek. I mean, you don't have so many designs, but you have Enterprise, right? And then I think one of the most interesting ship designs ever is the Borg Cube, which was designed years ago. So when I first saw it, I was like amazed. And I, I think it's one of the greatest designs ever. So... I mean, it's, it's so simple, and it makes a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense in the sense of the Borg, because they're, like, extremely practical. They're, like, pragmatic. They don't have any feelings or whatsoever. They're just, like, logical beings, and, and resistance is futile. So <laughs> what do you think about it, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I don't know if I'm in good or bad company here, but I am a, a Trekkie more than I am a Star Wars guy. Um, I, I I love Star Wars for sure, but um, I love uh, Star Trek and the questions that it asks, and you know the characters, and it's. I mean, everybody has their own preference. I honestly, I love them both equally, but I probably love Star Trek a little more. <laughs> so I love all my children equally, but one is my favorite. <laughs> you know, so it's like I think um, having uh, you know, Star Trek to me is is all 
of the ship designs uh, follow their lanes, you know, like they don't like the Romulan ships look like Romulans. The Klingon ships look like Klingons. The Federation ships are all more or less identical um, in terms of their design language. Uh, and I think that that was, you know, in, in the early days, it was just to to clearly communicate via you know the the ships themselves who was making there i mean the reality would be that on earth you'd have hundreds of different starship manufacturers who were all bidding i mean if you look at even just you know warplanes all the warplanes look different it's not like every warplane for the u.s was all painted you know white and gray um so I, i do think that from a variety standpoint star trek definitely beats or Star Wars definitely beat Star Trek from from that, but um, when you look at the 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 iconicness of all the ships, you know, like a Klingon bird of prey, or like a um, uh, you know the Enterprise, of course, or the different Federation ships, because they had more than just the the different classes of of the Enterprise. Um, they had all those different types of ships. By the um, way, I Joel, that, um, um, do you mm-hmm. know that there is like a real world uh, initiative to build a life sized uh, enterprise you know there's a website yes. for it and people are like mm-hmm. well can't. and did you know they almost built one in vegas <laughs> in vegas obviously. so like there's a yeah there's a whole story of it in the 80s they almost built it was like everything was done all the engineering was done and it was going to be like literally built above this the city skyline and you're going to go up into it and you could like they had a hotel they had a whole casino all of this sort of stuff and it was like everything was approved and then some like one of the big guys over at freaking it wasn't viacom it was maybe as paramount i forget who was the who was publishing it at the time was basically like you know, no, I don't want to do this. You know, I, I think it's a, a waste of, of time, even though all the money and everything was secured. And so it didn't happen. But I mean, you can look at it like the diagrams. It would be, it would be the Enterprise A. Um, so and it just oh, it looks so cool. And we could have almost had a, an Enterprise in, in Vegas and it, it never came about. So, yeah, I think, you know, now there's a, a new crew It's like we got to do it again. And I'm like, listen, I would literally go anywhere in the world. That there's I mean, I want to go to Star Wars, you know, to the to the uh, Galactic Edge or Galaxy's Edge, um, you know, amusement park at Disney. Disneyland, Disney World, but I would uh, I would go to the Enterprise first for sure. Uh, I think that'd be so cool. I think one of the things that makes Enterprise so iconic is that yeah, it's got this really uh, unique shape that you know you you have this UFO kind of kind of elliptical part. No, it's not elliptical. Sorry, it's it's like a saucer kind of thing. So you know, it almost feels like a UFO, but then you have the bridge. And you have the, you know, engine parts, you know, below. So, so I think when you look at it, it's aesthetically so impressive and it's so huge that seeing one, you know, for instance, if they built one of the huge starships from the Empire, you know, from the original trilogy, whatever, it would look good, but it wouldn't look as good as Enterprise. I mean, if it was built in, in, in real size, you know. There is something about it, like something towering, maybe, you know, maybe it's because it's both tall and, and smooth and, you know, uh, I don't know what, what, what's about it, but it's like when you're a kid, you want to have an enterprise, you know, it's just like, so it just feels yeah. so right in so many ways, I think. 
Yeah, 100%. I, I completely agree with you. I think that that uh, seeing the, you know, seeing an enterprise right next to a Star Destroyer, and even a Star Destroyer is going to be much bigger than an enterprise. Um, you know, it's there is something uh, beautiful and elegant. I thought actually that uh, the J.J. Abrams reboot um, did a, a really good job at, at honoring the original design, but then updating it um, with, with uh, you know, the way that they kind of changed the, the engine cells in the back of the ship and then kind of the, the design aesthetic but it still keeps that same, you know, top saucer design with the, you know, the split engines in the back and kind of the en- lower engineering deck. And we talked about deflectors, you know, that's one of the big iconic pieces of the Enterprise is that forward deflector dish that, you know, the uh, creates that that barrier between it and everything else it might find out in, in um, when it's traveling at, at, at light speed. And so, you know, I think that... Um, Obviously, our project's called Warp, so the, the, that's a little bit of a, a nod to, to Star Trek because you know they do they do engage in, in warp instead of jumping at a light speed and stuff like that. But like I, um, I I just love I just love all of the Enterprise ships. You know, I played um, there's a there's a game called uh, Star Trek Bridge Commander, uh, which came out gosh a, a long time ago and that game like really inspired me because you basically play as the captain on a on a crew of a sovereign class starship which later became the enterprise e after the enterprise d was destroyed in um uh oh, shoot what was the name of that movie um the one with william shatner in it but yeah basically the enterprise uh d was destroyed in that uh in that movie and so in the star trek bridge commander game you actually play as the captain of a of a sovereign class starship um that later then got unmothballed and turned into the enterprise e um and i loved like even even over the time you know the 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 first in the next in uh, or the original series you know the way the enterprise looked and then eventually into um enterprise d for the next generation and then enterprise E with the sovereign class ship. Like I just, they they found ways to really make each different ship design really interesting um, and really provocative while still staying true to the to the origins. And I think that's awesome. You know, Star Wars evolves over time. Um, uh, the Falcon, of course, kind of is probably the longest staying power ship because even you know the X wings weren't th- you know around throughout the entire thing. The, the Falcon's probably the longest running uh, ship, most iconic ship design. But but it they, there wasn't really another Millennium Falcon, but there been many different enterprises over the years and it's cool to see them keeping that design language as even as the the series developed so you know as uh, the final subject actually i just wrote down a lot of sci-fi movies here but i actually i actually want to talk about battlestar galactica here uh one of the reasons is that uh the battlestar ships were really kind of bulky they were also realistic and I remember from the later episodes, I think, by the way, Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite TV shows maybe ever. You know, it's just ever. Am I, am I not just sci-fi? Everything. Uh, yeah, I, I saw, I saw the whole show three times. Anyway, but the ships, you have the human ships. And I remember in the later episodes, in the later series, uh, that it was really hard to drive it. Uh, for instance, in one of the episodes... Uh, Starbuck, she she hurts her leg, and then suddenly she cannot easily press the pedals. You know, they're, so it turns out that they're really bulky and really hard to drive, like like DeLorean a little bit, uh, DeLoreans in space. So that's uh, that was that's one the of greatest the analogy. That's awesome. I, that, that, <laughs> yeah. You win that for sure. Yeah, they're they're kind of tricky to drive, and and the other awesome design is the Cylon ships. I love that kind of 
kind of crescent kind of design. And and again, in I'm not. I think in the first season they catch one, and the insides of the ship is like basically organic. I think again, Starbuck. She has to drive it, and she needs to put her hands inside these like organs, and then hit some buttons there, kind of, and then she learns how to fly one of those things. So, uh, and it's disgusting. It kind of smells as well, you know. And I think again, it's beautifully thought, and surprisingly, because Cylons are robots. And humans are flesh, so humans' ships are extremely mechanic, and Cylon ships are extremely organic. So, I love that kind of contrast they created there. BSG, well. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think that's definitely one of the best ones um, ever done uh, in terms of like just whole, whole story arc. Everything just feels so well done. But yeah, I mean the fact that uh, you know the 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 Battlestar was like you know during the events of the first episode, you know they were mothballing it. They were basically like it was on its final day cruise as you know this beat up old ship, old warbird that was getting ready to you know be retired. Then, of course, you know, the, the Cylon attack and it kicks off everything. And then they're just desperately trying to keep this ship that is clearly not designed to continue to operate, to continue to operate. And and not to tie it back to Star Trek, but actually Deep Space Nine is, was my favorite Star Trek series because they inherit this this broken ship or this broken space station with nothing in English. And they're trying to maintain it as a, a port outside this wormhole. And it's just like, you know, there's I just love the idea of of people inheriting, you know, things that aren't just like gleaming white and nice like everything's like falling apart and dangers around every corner um there was the um the stargate series where they ended up on one of the like outward galactic traveling ships and it's massive and it's old and they're trying to figure out what each room does and, and i that sense of discovery and that sense of like being in something that's alien that becomes more familiar over time i, I think is is really cool and you know they did that too when they captured the cylon ships and obviously you learn more about the cylons and then you know i won't spoil anything but BSG is is definitely one of the I think one of the most iconic things. One of the things I will mention is like, be, can you imagine being a, a modern day concept shipped artist where you have been exposed to all of these incredible and iconic starships over the years, and then you're a part of a production team and you're designing assets for a game or whatever, and you have to make something new. You know, like time to make a new starship, and you're just like. Uh, where do I, what pool do I draw from? Everything's already been taken and done. And, you know, anyways, I do have to run uh, one minute to go, but Hey, it's been a really pleasure to chat with you guys. Um, listen, I could do this all day long, seriously. So next time you, you guys want me on, just send me a ping and I would love to, uh, to come hang out. Cause this has been, I can't believe it's been an hour. Yeah, definitely. It was so fun and we'd love to have you back again. You know, this, this could, this could go on forever, you know, if you had the time, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us uh, today and then see you later. Take care of yourselves. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for joining us, everybody. This has been uh, Void Armada, our Sci-Fi and Tonic. We're here every week, every Friday, uh, 2 to 3.30 Eastern Time. I'm not sure what time it is where you are. But we were joined by Ton and Don from the Void Armada team, who you can follow, uh, Void Armada at Void Armada. And earlier, it was the Warp Game, Warp Bond team with us. And uh, they joined. They're launching on Phantom, an NFT line on Phantom soon. They've already launched, I believe, on a, on Polygon. It was their first mint. And uh, they have a variety of Starship designs. 
Voidon Mata has a lot of great designs too. So be sure to check us out, follow us, and come back next week for another Sci-Fi and Tonic. We'll have a different topic, just chatting Sci-Fi, and hopefully some new guests and some new people to check out. So thanks for being with us, everybody. We really appreciate it. Amazing, Toby. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been sipping Sci-Fi and Tonic with your hosts, Tan Tuncha and Don Demish. Brought to you by Void Armada, a collection of science fiction digital collectibles. For the latest news, episode info, and more, follow us on Twitter at Void underscore Armada. And tune in live on Twitter Spaces every Friday. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for joining us.